cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this, your word. I pray for your blessing over it as we uh, look at it and interact with it. I pray that you would bless these words, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Superman was in big trouble. Lex Luthor had found out what his one weakness was and was now attempting to use it to destroy the Man of Steel. What was this weapon that was Superman's nemesis that was going to bring about his destruction? Well, it was none other than a chunk of the planet from which he had come from. It was kryptonite. Luther had made a necklace out of a chunk of kryptonite that had fallen with a meteor, and he was going to hang it around Superman's neck. And he threw him into a pool, and Superman didn't even have enough strength to swim to the surface with that around his neck. Imagine not being able to go back to the very place that you came from without being destroyed. Having become accustomed to Earth as his home, this chunk of kryptonite was now toxic to Superman. And we have a very close parallel here in our passage today. But it's not related to some distant planet. Rather, it's related to the very glory of God. Whenever a human being is directly exposed to the full glory of God, they are in grave danger of being destroyed. This is why Moses here in our passage of scripture cannot enter the newly built tabernacle because the glory of the Lord had filled it and they needed to evacuate. The very one that created them, the very one that they came from, was now deadly to them. This deserves some investigation on our part because uh, if someone read just this account, they might presume that it was impossible to get close to the glory of God without being destroyed. And so we're going to look at three responses here to the glory of God. First of all, though, we want to have a definition. Because we tend to throw this word around, glory. It's one of those words that we use in Christianity that sort of loses its power and its understanding. And so there are a few ways for us to define glory. First, there is a general definition with, which has to do with uh, good opinion concerning someone and resulting from that praise and honor. And so clearly, glory is something that is given from someone to another person for something that they appreciate about them or something that they like about them. For instance, the Seattle Mariners have just recently received some glory for the 14-game winning streak. And many people were giving them praise because they thought maybe this is the year after 20 years of not being in the playoffs, maybe this is the one. Uh, but that was broken over the last couple of days as we saw one of those last uh, yesterday when Mary and I and uh, Darren, her mom, went over and watched the game. We also see this definition in glory days, right? We think back to those times when we had athletic prowess 
or perhaps we were uh, good at some artistic thing and we look back at those days and we think of them as our glory days. Another kind of glory that we see is what's called reflected glory. This is the kind of glory that we see in creation. We might look at a sunset, for instance, and say, wow, isn't that glorious? Or we recognize some aspect of power or wonder about God in nature. Now, some of us do not recognize God as being glorified in nature, and so this kind of glory is the kind that can be suppressed. Suppressed glory if it's not defined properly or given the right source. For instance, an atheist who believes in evolution may look at nature and they may marvel at the complexities of it. They may see beauty in it without actually giving credit to where it came from. And so reflected glory can be diminished. Reflected glory is also the kind of glory that we have in regard to the Lord. We are reflecting the glory of God in our lives. And the closer we are to Christ, the more uh, intense that reflected glory is. People see more of God in us when we are closest with Christ. But there is a final kind of glory that cannot be mistakenly defined. And it cannot be diminished. That's the direct glory of God or the Shekinah glory. The word Shekinah means dwelling, and so it's the kind of glory that's in our midst. If the full glory of God came into this place at this moment, you couldn't deny it. You couldn't look away from it. And so it's that glory that we see here in Exodus chapter 40. It's the glory that filled the temple. That's why they couldn't go in there, because the full and direct glory of God was there. And this is the kind of glory that I would like to discuss uh, in regard to the different reactions that we can have to it. And there are three reactions that we can have to the Shekinah glory. The first kind of reaction that we can have is fear of the glory. And this is actually the immediate and base reaction that we see throughout Scripture. Anytime somebody is directly in uh, the presence of the Shekinah glory, there's fear involved. Psalm 102.15 tells us that nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. In this particular passage, the glory that they're actually fearing is the glory of the Lord when he returns. And so all the nations will see Jesus coming in the clouds and they will be trembling in fear in the end times as Jesus comes to rescue Israel. When Jesus comes in the clouds, there'll be a blast from the archangel's trumpet, and the whole heavenly host will come charging down out of the clouds, and everybody will be shaking in their boots who is not redeemed and have been taken away uh, on this earth. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that they call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. And so that's the response. Hide us. <laughs> It'd be better for the rocks to fall on me inside of a mountain than to have to deal with this glory that's coming in the clouds right now. And the reason they're fearful is because of the state that they're in. The sinful state. They've been caught in their wickedness. 
They've been caught on the wrong side. Have you ever been caught red-handed doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing? Maybe you were speeding. How many of you are driving down the road, right? There's the cop. He's got the gun, and your heart starts beating faster. The reason is because you know you're speeding, right? You know you could get in trouble. And that's just a fine, you know, maybe $300, right? Something like that, depending on how fast you're going. Here we see the wrath of God. So you take that feeling, and times and times a thousand, and that's what you're experiencing because you're on the wrong side when the Lord comes. And we see this kind of fear in the passage here in Exodus. When Moses came down from the mountain, the people were afraid because the glory of God was being reflected from his face. He had been in the presence of the Lord, and now he was shining with that glory, and so they veiled his face because they were afraid. In fact, that's originally why they sent Moses up. They didn't want to meet with God. You go up and talk to him. You're the Holy One. We don't want to talk to him. We're afraid. And so he remained veiled because of their fear of the glory. Ezekiel was afraid of the glory when he saw him high and lifted up in a vision. And he said, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so he knew that his speech was getting him in trouble. The things in his past caused him to fear in the presence of God's glory. And so he recognized there was a grave danger about being in the presence of the Lord. And even John, the one whom Jesus loved, the beloved apostle, in the book of Revelation, when he sees Jesus in his glorified state, what does he do? Jesus, oh, I love you. No. He fell down on the ground as though dead. And so this shows us, even in our redeemed state, we have to contend with our unredeemed flesh. This mortal body that we live in right now does not interact well with the glory of God because of the sin nature. Even though we're redeemed, even though we're loved, we still have to contend with this. And so I don't know about you, but all this fear and trembling in the presence of the Lord doesn't make me want to go running into his arms. Oh, I'm so excited to meet God, based on all these interactions that others have had. The second response to the Shekinah glory that we see in Scripture is anger. Many are angry at the glory of God. We see this particularly in the uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 55. This is where Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're about to stone him. And it says, they looked upon him, and his face shone like an angel. Right? It's not talking about his clear complexion. It's talking about the fact that the glory of God was shining from him. And as they're stoning him, he looks up in the sky. He sees the heavens part. And there he sees Jesus in all his glory next to God the Father. And he says that. There's Jesus sitting next to the Father, and what's the response of the Sanhedrin? Maybe he's a prophet, you know, they're looking up. No, they start tearing their clothes, gnashing their teeth, growling, throwing rocks harder. They're angry at the glory of God in that moment. 
journalist Christopher Hitchens, who died of uh, esophageal cancer in 2011, spent much of his career arguing against the existence of God. And he considered that relationship, us and God, as slave to master, or fear. And he's actually absolutely right if the story ends in the Old Testament. Because it would be a cruel and masochistic story, wouldn't it? Present a people with a law that they don't have the ability to keep, and then punish them for not keeping it. That's just weird, isn't that? That'd be cruel, wouldn't it? And as Hitchens called it, it'd be like a celestial North Korea. We also see this anger toward the glory of God in people who have replaced the creator with evolution. When they look around at the world and they see all the glory, they get angry at the idea that there's some kind of God up there who made all of this and calls them to account. They're responsible to this higher power. Richard Dawkins, in his book entitled The God Delusion, states, and I quote, You cannot understand biology. You can't understand life unless you understand that it all arose from evolution. In regards to religion, he states, I'm against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. And so what's at the heart of Dawkins' rejection of a faith-based explanation of the world around us? I believe it's anger. Because regarding death, he said, don't kid yourself that you're going to live after you're dead. You are not. Make the most of this life that you've got. Live life to the full. And amazingly, the Apostle Paul actually agreed with Dawkins on this point. He told believers in Corinth, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Basically, if Jesus isn't real, if the dead aren't raised, party it up. This is all you've got. Might as well live to the full. And Paul was once an unbeliever just as much as Dawkins was. In fact, he went a step further. Dawkins attacked Christians. Paul killed them. In fact, he was going to Damascus in order to present things uh, to the council there so they could grab Christians, throw them in prison, and kill them. But his anger turned to awe and belief when he experienced the glory of God on the road to Damascus there. In a debate at Oxford against Archbishop of Canterbury, the moderator asked Dawkins if, you know, what it would take to believe in God. And Dawkins said, you know, I used to think if a 900-foot Jesus stood before me and said, I am God, I would believe it. But he said, now I don't even believe that I would do so because the scientific evidence is so complete that there is no God. So he's saying if Jesus stood before him, he still wouldn't believe in him. The only problem about that is that Dawkins is not taking into consideration the powerful glory of God. When Jesus stands before you in his glory, you cannot deny that he is there and exists and that he's the Lord of all. This happened to Paul. When he was on the road to Damascus, it wasn't like he said, I don't believe in you, and then just kept walking. He fell on his face, and he was blinded by the glory of God. 
He says in Romans 14, 11, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge that I am God. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Even Dawkins. After looking at the second aspect of how we relate to the glory of God, I'm still not feeling very excited about standing before the Lord at the end of my life. And thankfully, we have a third option in how we relate to the Shekinah glory. When Superman was hunting for Lex Luthor and finally found the arch-villain's hideout, uh, it was underground right next to a subway, there was a safe that had something in it that Superman couldn't see with his x-ray vision. And the reason he couldn't see into the safe was because it was made of lead. And if he had been able to see into that safe and knew what was inside, he would have been out of there faster than a locomotive, right? And so that safe that was made of lead protected Superman from the effect of the kryptonite. And wouldn't it be nice if we had something in our lives that could effectively protect us from the devastating effects of the glory of God? Well, listen to Psalm 28, verse 7. David here speaking, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Many feel that in this psalm, David is crying out for help against his enemies. He wants God to protect him from his enemies. I disagree with that based on verse 3 of that same passage. He says to the Lord, Do not drag me off with the wicked. He recognizes that he's wicked just as much as the others are wicked, and that God could drag him away as well. And so the main thing that David is being shielded from is actually the Lord himself, the wrath of God, the glory of the Lord. And so his heart is trusting in the fact that God is merciful and he would provide a way of salvation for him. And so Jesus has become that refuge for you and me. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 shows us this. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who don't trust in Jesus as their Savior will be fully exposed to the glory of the Lord, the wrath of God, unshielded, because he is a consuming fire, and his holiness will burn up all unrighteousness. But we don't need to fear that glory. We don't need to fear that wrath. In fact, according to Titus 2.13, it says, We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, instead of fearing the glory, we're waiting for the glory. <laughs> We're excited for the glory. Bring the glory. My favorite chapter in the Bible is Revelation 21. And it describes what we have to look forward to on the new earth. When God, Jesus returns and establishes the new earth. Listen to how this quote relates to the glory of God and how we react to it. And I saw no temple in the city. This is the new Jerusalem. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light. 
The light that you see outside, you, you, you know, you look out right now and you recognize the sun shining. There, when you look outside and you see light, you recognize that the glory of God is shining and giving light. By its light, the glory of God, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory, the reflected glory, into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The glory of God filling the new Jerusalem and we're not afraid of it. We're coming into it. No anger. We are basking in the glory. Basking in the glory. In conclusion here, Superman was never able to return to his home planet, Krypton. It was completely destroyed. But for those of us who trust in Christ, we can look forward to the restoration of the planet the way that God intended it to be. Filled with the glory, the Shekinah glory, not just the reflected glory of God. Atheists believe that we Christians have an obsession with death. We can't wait for the Lord to return and for all of this to end. And the main reason for that is that we don't have fear of the grave. Yeah, I mean, dying itself, the process is no fun, but we don't have to fear the grave because the Bible tells us we go right from life to life in a new body and you'll be present with the Lord and you won't have to fear the glory. You'll be basking in the glory. And so this life has pain, injustice, war, and heartbreak. And if this were all there was, what a pity that would be. But we believe that there is yet another chapter to be written in this glorious storybook called Life. A chapter where the glory of God is central and visible and Shekinah dwelling with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this promise and the hope that we have that we will be able to stand in the midst of the glory, basking in it, living in it. And so, Father God, now as we struggle continually on this earth, help us to catch a glimpse of your glory, even if it's just reflected right now, and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.